beautiful ice. <laughs> Look at those big drinks. Fun. So uh, I actually had a long conversation with Jen yesterday about the uh, the journey, the ice journey. Yes. Yeah. It's there's a lot to consider. Yeah. To get the, so you've got different ices with different, so over here you have salt in your ice, is that yeah, right? Yeah, so, so, so we'll drop the temperature further than just ice, so it's not going to melt, it's going to cool everything a little bit faster. These ones are uh, deionized water, so there's nothing that will form a crystal in it. Um, that's challenging. Like, we yeah. learned a lot along the way making those. Yeah. Um, but like, we also had scoops with just a few ice cubes in there, yeah. and it was less fun. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you wanted to just do it. We want to see where we can take ice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so the things, there's lots, uh, lots of tableware and these beautiful cards. Who, who's behind the? So Jennifer designed the cards. Yeah. Uh, she she does me like mates rates when we're designing <laughs> things and stuff like that. But she's very particular. Yeah. Uh, so she led that, and I just like I'll do coffee. I'll do coffee. You make everything look nice. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like a deal. I saw you managed to use your little spray. Yeah. <laughs> twice. <laughs> Midway twice. That's a great idea. Did you? Fight, did that? All of your own? No, tradition? no. I have to credit people in the US that we saw doing it. It's like, okay. oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a really good idea. I want one of those. And like, it works. It's difficult on the mythos. Like, the mythos has lots of sleek Italian curves. And <laughs> oh, so it's harder to, to prop yeah, yeah, all the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's, um, it's, it was, uh, for me, it was a very meticulous routine, like lots of detail. The way you brew your shots, you bring all your own timers. Yeah. You time every shot. Yeah. So there's actually there's a, lot, a lot to do. Yeah. Uh, weighed all of the doses and all of the shots. Yeah. So, you, you know, happy to sort of uh, waste a tiny amount of coffee. Again, like, start that from you. I think you were the first guy I saw, like, removing a little coffee from a dose and getting yeah. it right. And I was always like, you know, it, it's important, but let's not, you've got to you let go at a certain point. And it's like, oh, it works. We'll do that. Um, and then this, this coffee. So, yeah. you've used lots of washed and honey coffees before? Is that yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But this is. Yeah, like, I generally, like, I love naturals. Yeah. But I don't love them in the way that, like, everyday drinking. Okay. Like, yep. they, it gets boring. It tastes like naturals. And this doesn't taste like a natural. Yep. And, like, variety has such an impact. The, the way Eliana's done it so gently. Yeah. Yeah, it's about being open minded to seeing what a processing yeah. method can do. We're just going to say goodbye to judges. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Dad. Thank you, Mark. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks, Adit. Cheers, Rob. Marvelous. Whilst we continue to talk, uh, can you make some coffee for the, for the couches? How many coffees do I have to make? Uh, just a couple, they share it I was going to say, because I can't do more than four. That's they're, the limit. They're very friendly with each other. Um, what would they like? I think there's, uh, they like espresso, don't you? Okay. <laughs> <sighs> that was meant to be the last shot I ever made. I was not going to do this anymore. So, like... <laughs> <laughs> Where? Korea. Korea. See what he did there? He's, he's smart. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Steve and Dale work together. So. Work is a, <laughs> it's a loose word, <laughs> what we do together. And was, um, did you brew the shots the same for every course? Is that right? Or not? Yeah, I had a, like a larger margin for error yeah. um, with, with my milk drink. Okay. Uh, you get slightly different results with slightly different extraction times. Um, the espresso is like... And was, it, was, was I right in that the shots looked relatively s slow? Did they quite a long pour time? You, like, compared What's to the, what? It's always an yeah. interesting thing. Okay, They're not cool. your 15 seconds. <laughs> like, I wouldn't do that. Um, 10 seconds these days, mate. Uh, uh, 10 seconds? 
Uh, what's the no, but what kind of time what were those? Uh, I guess the thing about competition as well is everything seems longer as well, doesn't it? Everything seems longer. Um, big, dif big difference is uh, like the machine gives you a restricted range of stuff you can work around to the 50, 53 mil group. Okay. So I was looking at like 30 to 34 seconds ideally. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, how much of this copy was there? Not a lot, right? Or you had Steve. in the last. <laughs> how much? 120? That's not a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, like it's, it's the uh, after effect of like an actual coffee. So it's kind of like you're sorting out a big batch of like 20 bags, yeah. and these are the two that get filtered out of the top. So it's not a huge waste, but like um, it's nice to use something that doesn't otherwise get used, particularly when it's sure, sure. tasty. Okay. So what we're going to do well, my is... my scales oh. disappeared somewhere, so I'm, one there, you share? Oh, don't drink it yet, mate. You gotta let us cool. Uh, so I'm gonna take this opportunity to um, thank Dale very much. We're gonna give him a huge round of applause and then introduce him to the Tampa Tantrum team. Huge round of applause for Dale, please. Uh, uh, and now Dale's gonna take a seat in the middle and we're gonna chat about the coffee and the routine uh, with the panelists and with Steve and Colin. So if you take a seat, Dale. Steve, I'm gonna hand you over. Sit in that weird down. little throne Stop. in the yeah, middle. Yeah, 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 this is the throne. Stop buzzing around. <laughs> well done. Thank you. That's in the time. best coffee I've tasted all day. Sorry? That's the best coffee I've tasted all day. Whew. High praise. Have you drunk any coffee today? <laughs> no. I don't mean to be impartial, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. So how was that? Is that? Did that all go to plan? Whew. It, it went better than, like, it did not make mistakes that I made yesterday. There were things that I wish it done differently. Did you make new mistakes then? I made all new mistakes. Fresh, <laughs> what, what new it, mistakes. Did you enjoy your mistakes? Oh, no. <laughs> no, I did not. You're um, always going to have something that weren't you in a routine. It's just like, yeah, what like, mistakes am I going to get? Yeah. It's, uh, these were better mistakes to make. These were mistakes that were, like, a touch quicker, uh, a touch tidier. I had a little more room to do things, and where there were mistakes that were more serious, I could fix them before they became a bigger problem. So. Is it, this is your ninth year competing? Yeah, sad, isn't it? <laughs> wow. You're like the baristiest barista ever. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, what brings you back every year? Um, I try not to question it. Yeah. I try, like, like, I'm not going to think too deeply about my issues. But like, very loosely, I enjoy it. Like, it's fun, you learn things. I always think that, like, before I start, like, I've got new, no new ideas. I've got, like, there's nothing that I can bring that I haven't done better before in a, in a way that made me happy. And then you start going through the process, and you go, oh, this is kind of neat. Um, and the coffee normally leads that, but then it's, like, how, how you work through what the coffee does and how you understand. And that's fun. Like, you learn things. Hello, people. Sorry. <laughs> it sounds... I mean, the coffee was marvellous. So you were mentioning before the, the processing being dictated by, obviously, varietal and altitude. Yes, yeah. Is there a correlation between one or the other? So there's a correlation between... It's a, I hate mentioning altitude. I yeah. think it's the biggest pile of shit that we talk about because okay. we, like, we, we ask for it we did I just ruin your like PG rating no yeah. no, okay, no. Cool. no, no he's already swore I ruined it a couple <laughs> of hours ago yeah. uh, like altitude 
Altitude is a signifier of like, basic environmental conditions, but they're easily overturned. So like average temperature is more important. And as you go up higher altitudes, it generally gets cooler depending on where you are in the world. Absolutely. That's much more important. So that has an impact on plant development and fruit development. Yeah. So different varieties respond better to different nutrients and temperatures and things like that. Uh, the nice thing about, so, so Miresh Group have Lemonsio, which is their biggest farm, but then they have another like six, I don't want to call them micro farms, but like farms that produce 20 sacks, 30 sacks, and then Lemonsio produces? Uh, about four containers, four or five containers. A it's a fuck ton, yeah. literally. <laughs> um, they, but that farm is across lots of different altitudes, lots of different kind of areas with different soil conditions, different environmental impacts. And then that means that they can learn things from the little farms and then apply them. So a variety that they see working in this kind of condition, they can grow on a wider scale at Lemonsia. Sure. Um, and they have a really interesting approach to coffee farming. It's very kind of, uh, let's say, American business focused. And they're like, you're the customer. What coffee do you want us to make? Yep. And then they will put together the conditions to make their coffee. And like Steve's, Steve's worked with Eliane for years and they understand each other's language and uh, understand what each other might want. So mm -hmm. Elian can say, like, you tasted that. And this is what happened with the petites. Like, Steve tasted the Pacamaras, and he, Steve really likes this, like, super funky natural, which, like, if they'd have gone with the natural depth sig drink, that's what it tries to replicate, which is, like, like boozy, incredible mm -hmm. fermentation. Colin, you used a funky one in Vienna, or you used a delicate? No, it was, it was just, uh, it was definitely Pacamara. Yeah. And it was definitely the Maceo. I'm pretty sure but it was Steve likes the funky. I think it was, I think, I think like, it was no, the elegant. I think, right. it, was, I think it was the year shit. before sure. the funky. It was the year before the funky. Yeah. Before the, the funk. I'm pre-funk. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> so, uh, you were saying about the sig drink. Uh, you were saying, sorry, you were saying about the coffee, and yeah. then that leads you to build a performance around it. Yeah. Uh, where, where did the sig drink come from? I mean, is it just, is it purely that where you want this coffee to go in the future, or is it just that tasting the coffee and thinking that you right, could change so, it. So interestingly, like, the sig drink I presented in the heats was inspired with like, the flavors in the coffee then, which was a different lot of the same thing. So it was like the first like, little backpack that came through that had real pink grapefruit flavors. And so we built a sig drink around the flavor, which was Paloma. We're going with the Paloma, so it's like grapefruit, ginger cocktail kind of thing. Sure. And like, it worked, it did everything I wanted it to do, but it was, like, it was kind of boring and to the point and nothing else. And then like, it was brainstorming with PT, and it was just like, yeah, let's, let's have some fun. Like, what can we do that's fun? And then it was like, let's introduce some choices, let's try and keep certain things the same, so that, like, it was always going to be charged in a canister. We were always going to do that. It was always going to be like, a maximum quantity, quantity of ingredient per drink, a maximum number of ingredients per drink, but then working out how we can create choice through that. Um, yeah. And also the ice, which was a complete distraction, but was like, ah! I think it was cool. It was like just an espresso on steroids, you know, because yeah. it looked, it looked yeah. super satisfying to drink. Like, like I'm convinced that if you give me another six months, I'll work out like, the right way to dose sick drink. I think it's stupid. What about yeah. a pipette? The pipette. I, so one day, mate, one day, yeah. pipettes are coming back. <laughs> they were great. 2014. Um, it may have got lost on the people watching and the people watching at home about the petites. Yeah. Um, and it's a little bit of a mission of mine, you know, yeah. so I want you to talk about it. So tell us a little bit about, like, the whole background to the petite thing. Okay, so 
coffee is a plant, right? like an apple tree, and apples come in different um. sizes. Um, small apples, big apples, there will be like an average size, there'll be a mode where most of them are about that size. And coffee in some countries is sorted through screens, not all countries, and graded based on that. So there'll be like for Bourbon, there is a standard, like a Bourbon falls between screen size 18, screen size 15, anything that's below that, maybe it's 14, whatever, in a different country, there might be like AA, ABs, whatever. Sure. Uh, I hate things like that. Like yeah. it's so outdated and it's so, not true to like sell things based on the quality of their size, but there's an impact from like every time you sort something or you apply some kind of system, you're going to get some separation, and separation will produce different results. Yeah, and I don't think it's necessarily better. Um, you get like the the Peabree stuff. Oh, it's a Peabree. It's like all the nutrients are like fueled into this tiny thing. It's going to be like twice as good. Yeah. It's like it's not, but it's like. It's the ones that fall all the way through without the, the rubbish underneath it. So they've, they've gone through all this sorting. And they're much more uniform, much easier to roast. Like, Takamaras are fun to roast because I've never roasted coffee and I'm never going to roast coffee. Yep. But I look at them and I'm like, Steve messed it up again. And he's like, no, the coffee's like They are like very that. hard. The surface area and it's all, yeah. it's a very strange thing. Um, but like, and, and you know, we work with, uh, another producer I have a really close relationship with, and he's also sent us some petites this year, and it's like, ah, oh, ah, oh, which one, which one? Um, but it felt right to keep going with Eliane's, and like, I also like, like natural wine's a coffee thing now, and I get to say it's like, it's petit natural, so it's a petit nat. Yeah. That's, that's what it is, yeah. Bit of skin contact in there. Nice. So, we've already said nine times, like, Obviously, you're going to win and go to Korea, but if that didn't happen, what next? I don't know. I'm asking as your boss. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, I hear there is a competition in the States called Deep Fried Masters, and like, the, the scoring criteria is you've got to fry it, and it has to go on a stick, and you, and you have to add, like, it has to melt. So like lemonade, deep fried lemonade is the thing. What? So like maybe give up coffee and try and get something on the main drag at like state fairs. Probably gets a bit more TV coverage too. Yeah. Because yeah. everybody <laughs> likes stuff. deep fried. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing is like if you, if you play football or I don't know, if you fucking, I don't know, play tennis or something, people don't go, oh, you're competing again this yeah. year. Oh my God, like, what's wrong with you? Like, like, but in coffee, there is that. So like... You compete every year. Like, why can't you compete every year? Like, it's weird. So it's a weird thing that you only get one go a year. And like, one go a year is enough for you to like, you do the thing, you kind of learn from some of your mistakes, you go off of it, and you begin to turn on to it again, and then you do it again. But you don't really take all the learning. If we did one of these every four weeks, mm. God, it'd be boring, but you get good. Yeah. Like, that you get true. good at doing this. Probably not good at making really good coffee. It's different things. Has it been a consecutive nine years? No, I had one year off. What were you thinking? No, that was my year as well. I think Maxi Cab won that year, or John Gordon. Was that Mel <coughs> Melbourne, or? I think that was Melbourne. Melbourne yeah. was John Gordon, yeah. 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 So, um, obviously, lots of people help you get to this point. Um, is there anybody you want to thank on the stream, or particularly sitting over there, I'm guessing, and wherever Pete's gone? Like, over here. I don't, <laughs> cool. I, that's him. Like, like the problem is I have to thank these people for more than just this year and more than just this competition. So Pete and Jen, who like hold me together and fix all the things and, and make things work. Um, and they've been, they've been amazing this year. 
um, Steve, and like, this will sound really stupid, but like, Katie and Chris and Sonali at the roastery, who like, I spent, like the last week, the biggest problem I dealt with was like, ah, oh, my ice is not freezing fast enough. While Katie like rushed orders out to people and raised invoices and like sent nice messages to people saying like, like Dale will get back to you soon, soon. <laughs> like he's busy, but like if I can help, um, so like the whole team have been amazing, um, and and Eliane and like you for like letting me do this. They, like there is very little benefit to the business you work. There's the personal benefit and there's little bits that you learn, but beyond a certain point, the business doesn't benefit from the time spent on this. But it can be fun and the, you know. I think the return on investment is there, for sure, in your case at least. I missed all of that, but it's good. Well, we'll, we'll either see you in career or see you next year, I guess. Nice. <laughs> Please, a big round of applause for Mr. Dale Harris. So we're ploughing through the competitors here. That's competitor number four. That's Two more five. to go. Six. Yeah, yeah it's great. It's yeah. interesting. I think like Dale is a good example of this because as we've talked to different barristers as they've come through, they've all talked about the, the value of competition. But it's kind of becoming clear that every, uh, the more you compete, the more the value changes. Would that be fair? Like, it's just, it, it, what you get from the first year competing is not what you get from your fourth year or from your oh, fifth year. For the individual, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I suppose if you got everything out of it, if you were only after one thing, then you'd only need to do it once, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I think you, you can't get the value Dale gets this year in your first year. You know what I mean? Like, you have to go through those motions. I mean, there could also be the opposite. Like, somebody like Gwillem, who won in 2009, um, competed five times and was WBC champion. Did he compete five? Oh, as in, in the one year. As in one year, yeah. he, had, he actually did five presentations and came out WBC champion, and that investment kind of thing could be quite Stephen Morrissey would have been four, less. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. a semi-final and a final in Ireland, if there even wasn't. Actually, it might have only been one back in that year. It could be three. Then mm -hmm. two in, in Copenhagen, so yeah. It's definitely, uh, it's grown a lot as it's come along. I think, I think, yeah, the value absolutely does change. And the, the first year that you do it, if you're a competitive barista and want to continue doing it, you know, you're putting your name out there as a potential person that's in it to become the champion. And then the longevity after that is, if you, if you haven't won it yet, you're trying to get there. And yeah, I wonder how much the, what is the, not to say what is the value as you continue doing it, but... Well, I mean, you don't have to win to make an impact, for one. Oh, well, you, often that's the case. I mean, Some the, of the most influential guys have, precisely. you know, yeah, never taken the trophy. But, I mean, I don't know if we want to start talking about the real virtues of the competition in the general sense. Oh, I'd love to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's... We were talking before about, well, Sirianne and I, <coughs> about the responsibility of the governing bodies to allow it to evolve and, and how is the mo what's the best way forward in order to... Moving tables round. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> well, there's many things to consider, right? I think the biggest criticism of the comp is that it fails to engage and, and excite a bigger audience outside of the industry. Now, whether that's got something to do with the, with the, with the strictness of the rules or the format, I don't know. Maybe it's simply the nature of the competition. Maybe we're just kidding ourselves. Um, we end up in a very chicken and egg sort of scenario where like, people will talk about how it doesn't engage uh, like a, a mainstream audience. 
but is that the point of it, you know? And then yeah. people talk about how it's there to teach baristas about how to, you know, develop skills. And, it's, and is it an, an educational tool anymore, you know? Or I'm not, yeah, because certainly in the past it was a very interesting vessel in order to kind of show people in the industry how things could be done and to adopt a more professional approach. But now, <coughs> I mean, I think there's definitely something to be said for the idea of the competition being kind of an, uh, being as a um, as a vehicle to explore innovation a little more and um, accessibility a little more, and that's probably got something to do with the way the rules could be structured. An idea in the states at the minute is what compiling everything into regional compulsory rounds, where you are rewarded with a chance to perform like as yourself yeah. later on. But I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Sarian, you were part of the evolution committee for the WC for a while. Yes. Um, so tell us what happens there. What happens? Yeah, tell us well, the secrets. <laughs> well, the evolution group is mostly about um, looking at what steps to take towards a certain end goal. So um, where the competition should go, the, the end goal is already set. And the question is, so what is the best way to implement to get there? Mm -hmm. um, so one of those things is, is um, what we are thinking about is accessibility. So how can you make it more accessible for all baristas to compete, which is a very difficult question. Um, and, and one of the, the things that we introduced this year, for example, was the modular layout also for perhaps shorter baristas to be able to have a better connection with their judges. So that's one example. Um, but, the, but it's a constant um, discussion basically to see at, at what should the competition be. And I think this is a big question, of course, uh, that we've been having all year online, is that what, what should the competition be and, and what are we looking for? Is it about barista skill? Is it about innovation? Is it both? Uh, can it be both? Uh, which is a very difficult question to answer because um, you're asking uh, for... A, a fantastic technical skill, but you don't want it to be boring to watch or you don't want to restrict people um, from innovating a new way of making coffee. Um, so it's, it's a very interesting subject to think about. And, and can you, are you limiting, if you say it's just about technique and a compulsory coffee and do what you have to do like in the shop, does that take away from the possibility to have it focus on concept and innovation, which is also such a big part of the competition. I think I think it's <laughs> it's an interesting. As, as when Paul was here earlier, he said like, "Oh, you've been around a long time," and I have hung around these competitions for way too long now. And when I first went to Bristol competition in two thousand and five, it was very much about technical um, and much less about uh, the sensory side of it. And we've seen an evolution of those rules from that technical, where technical points are worth a lot less and sensory scores are worth a lot more but they are meant to be objective sensory scores not necessarily the the perception and I, I kind of just want to throw it out there what your thoughts are in is it time that we move away from that perception and just actually let personal preference and innovation and entertainment mm -hmm. which I think are all skills that a barista should have 
um, you know, to, to, to make it more interesting and to keep that excitement and interest there. Yeah, yeah. I think that is one, probably one of the biggest discussions we have every time. Um, because um, if we look at coffee and, and um, subjectivity of flavor and objectivity of flavor, it's also um, just the way, for example, where a cupping form works, it is subjective, but it's subjective objectivity you know it's because you are you're descripting so it's i've, ju I've it's just come from a cup of excellence jury yeah. where there was a room of 30 jurors are all professional tasters who were scoring 76s and 92s exactly right. <laughs> yeah so it's very difficult at the same time um within the competition should there be room to to make it more personal be more subjective as a judge um and there are positives and negatives to that and um I think it could be very interesting to have just, if you have a very good judging panel and just have them taste, do you like it or not? Um, like a cooking competition. Um, on my personal opinion, I think it's tricky. Just like, who are your judges? How do you pick them? How can they be diverse? Um, and um, what are they judging on? Uh, is it just free or not? And should every barista have the same judges panel? Or how does that work? That's a, it's a huge topic of discussion and not very easy to fulfill. I think it's really, it's like, for me, it's really sad that some of the best performances I've ever seen at barista competition have never won. And never would win because yeah. they were entertaining and innovative and pushing the boundaries. Yeah. And, you know, people have got up here and said it's about learning, it's about having fun but we don't reward learning or yes. having yeah, fun. Yeah, if it's all too conventional. I mean, I think the one thing we can all agree on at least is that the weight uh, spread across the score sheet is a little bit disproportionate and it doesn't allow for people to really evolve in the way that it should. So, I mean, the argument still stands that do we <coughs> segment off the technical from the sensory from the performance into different... I mean, it's a fuckload more work for baristas, but then again, perhaps that's a good thing because... There's, there's also the idea that a lot of people stand up to compete because they simply want to compete, not necessarily because they have something good to say, which is something that I've seen a lot more and more and more and more and more. Um, I mean, I don't really carry the way, but it does kind of get a little bit tedious. I mean, the, the question really is with regards to technical. I feel, it, I feel like, like you said, Stephen, we've moved away from technical being a, a large percentage of the score sheet. But I still think it's very important that the skills of a day-to-day -day barista are reflected in, in a score sheet. And then, uh, yeah. No, so, massively. So we were discussing this just on the, on the break, that a compulsory round um, that focused heavily on technical would actually allow more center stage for the innovation when it came to their own coffee that they've brought. And then that can be the, the presentation of that coffee. And that's where the flair and that can come yeah. in. Because we're, what, four competitors deep now at this stage? Yeah. We haven't encountered a full-time barista. No, and that's that, a good point. But the, the, this, but it's, it's, the competition in its current format does does it, it is it weighted in favour of a person who can have that time and energy and kind of a, I suppose the the weight behind them to to go and train for a competition, whereas your average barista that works for you know mm. whatever ten pounds an hour doesn't can't just take a day off to train. I mean, I think it's historically it's definitely that's the case. Um, you know, you wouldn't rock up to an international final without having a very, very succinct story about the person you bought your coffee off, for instance, and accessing that sort of thing is reasonably hard to do if you're stuck behind the bar all day. Right. But I mean, maybe I think, I mean, as a voice for the industry, the competitions have been more about, you know, trying to perpetuate something bigger. 
I don't think the case is, I don't think anyone really expects the competition to really be about a complete skill set that's, that, that encompasses everything a barista does in the calf. And if it yeah. does, it's less about making coffee and more about talking to consumers, surely. I think it's also that there's an enormous barrier to access in terms of if we're looking at a, comp a competition as being this, um, like bringing ideas to the table and that being our focus, the competitors that really want to compete might actually not have access to the coffees that would do well alongside. So, you, so by nature of being a £10 an hour barista, which is pretty good, um, but then if you're working in a coffee shop which might not have the capacity to give you time to train or maybe to finance a coffee, the moment that you get into the competition, by nature of being next to somebody who isn't a full-time barista, who mm. is supported with finance and time to practice, you are automatically at that disadvantage. Um, so a compulsory, that's why I really think a compulsory round could come in at least to kind of um, filter into field. that. The other side of that though is that, I mean, I've been to competitions where people will turn up in a country that's halfway around the world from where they live and they'll have brought like 100 kilos of coffee, they've bought five grinders, they've brought like, and spent stupid money on it, you know? Like, and it's, I don't think that's necessary. And I think it's a really dangerous message to send out to versus, like, I never won the World Championships, but anytime we went to World Championships, we never spent that much money. Like, there was always glasses and, uh, you know. London was quite expensive. Yeah, that was, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, coffee was. coffee in. The coffee was, but <laughs> the setup wasn't, though, that's the thing, you know what I mean? So is it really about working out where you spend your money as a competitor? It's being focused on what the, how you score points, right. you know? And I don't remember a judge ever complimenting your glasses. Like, the, your yeah. glasses from TK Maxx, it's fine. It does the job, you know? As long as they're clean and no fingerprints on them, that's, uh, that's, that's, the that's fine. So, I mean, do we... I, I kind of hear a lot on, on Twitter and on, online of the death of the competition. Do we think that, like, the competition, like, is as strong as it was? Do we feel that it has a, a better future? I mean, I'd, I'd like to get your kind of feelings on that. I, I think maybe it's... I think there was an, there's an idea that the golden age has gone... Ah, the good old days. I remember the good old days. Do you know days. what I mean? But I think that's the sun shone longer and it never rained and it, everybody yeah. was happy. But I think that's because a lot of the people that benefited from doing very well are now the kind of industry leaders. So you people still look at that and they're like, wow, okay, well, that's the really position. And, but I mean, that's a really hard question to answer because I've never been to a regional competition in any other country apart from New Zealand and here. So I would... I mean, I wonder who's... I mean, has anyone watched the Mexican Barista Champs regionally? Has anyone been there? You've seen it? I mean, I've, I've watched online because I'm sad. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, what's the general feeling from I, your perspective? I mean, I think, I think, like, outside of our little bubble, it still means an immense lot for the, the Barista Champion of the United Arab Emirates. Sure. Like, it means so much for them to win. I remember in uh, Seattle... Was it Seattle or was it Rimini? that the guy was just like so happy to be there. And he was just like, this is the biggest thing that's happened to him. It's amazing. And he went out the first round and as soon as he went out, he put a volunteer's t-shirt on so he could hang around backstage and help everybody else. So I think we kind of get lost in the bubble a little bit about, you know, yeah. our, our enthusiasm may have waned a little for it because we've had success, you know, like, you know, as a country, we, we do well in finals and, you know, we, so we're like, oh, yeah, no, it's not as good as it used to be. Whereas for countries like China, it's bigger than it's ever been. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And you try telling the winner that it's not as good this year as it was last year, you know, with the amount of effort, energy and time they've put in. I think the other thing is that there's more education systems in place now. So if you want to build a reputation for yourself, there's many conduits to do that. Like, so you can do a Q-Graders course, you can do any one of the many educational courses that are set up by the SCA. You can, um, you know, there's lots of shops that are becoming, uh, that have chains or roasteries, whatever, that, that will give you that platform and, you know, blogs and Twitter, all this sort of stuff. Whereas back, I think, in like 2007, 2008, 2009, pretty much the only way to get a name for yourself yeah. in write coffee a blog. Was, was to win, win a coffee competition. Or write a blog. I mean, it kind of seems that as soon as there are successful baristas or competitors from a region, it's either correlated to or, is, um, um, or could be put down to the emergence of a scene in that area. Do you know what I mean? So perhaps, you know, as soon as the Asian market really starts booming, it would, it would make sense that, you know, there's going to be a lot more successful baristas from that region too. Um, does that make, do you know what I mean? Yes. I don't, personally, what I'd like to see is, is a push back towards, like, it's difficult, like you were saying earlier, about like trying to figure out what is the focus of the competition. Is it for, is it for training and standards? Is it for entertainment? Is it for... You know, uh, to, uh, whatever. There's all these little things that it's ticked. And something like education is now ticked with a, in a different area. That box is ticked somewhere else. And in terms of customer engagement, shops kind of do that. Like that's what shops do in, in a very large scale. And so there's all these things the competition used to do that are now done in other areas. You know, uh, and I think what we need to do in future years is to actually say, well, what's the competition back? The competition going forward should be to find the best barista on the planet. Right. Like, who is that person? But like, what is, does she do? What does he do? And how can we, what tests can we put in place to, to figure out who that person is? And at the end of the day, to put someone on a platform and say, they are actually the best barista on the planet. It's not the person who has the most backing. It's not the person who knows the scores or, you know, lives around the corner from a WC head judge so they get the insight into what the judges are looking for or any of those sort of things. It's actually, this person is the best barista on the planet. Yeah, year. maybe that is the point, just simply just to constantly search for the best ambassadors that in the industry can find. Yeah. But in, in that case, because if we, if we flip the coin there and make it less about the innovation and about the individual, then we have to at least... But the best barista would be the most innovative. The most innovative. To me, the best barista on the planet is the one who can show innovation, who can show customer service skills, who has, like, who can sit a two-hour-long written exam on a topic, can answer 50, you know, multiple-choice questions, who could, you know, I don't know. But what if the person who would be the most innovative hasn't got the access to financial backing to allow that innovation to happen? Then you go to education systems, that's the thing. Right. Is that, because those systems are in place now, you should be, it should be something that... After 10 years, people aren't saying, why aren't you competing? It should be like, well, I've been doing this 10 years. Maybe I should think about competing, you know? And it's, we're completely turning it on its head. So it comes back to the situation where the person who's the world risk champion is, is that figurehead of the industry, you know? And that's, I think that's something that, that is really valuable and we should push it to be. Because the competition, I think everybody agrees, is wonderful. And we want it to be here and we want it to succeed. But I just think times have changed and we need to evolve with it. And that's your job. So get on with it. <laughs> now, that's super interesting. That's been a fantastic uh, conversation about that. I've really enjoyed it. I hope you guys have as well. Um, we are nearly ready for our next competitor, so we're going to shut up and give Maxwell the microphone back and wait for judges, and we'll be back uh, after our next competitor. <laughs>